This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hey, everybody. This is Mark Meadows from Top Step. We're still in the middle of planning for season two of Limit Up, so we have an interview with Top Step Traders Risk Manager Mick Ironimo for you today. Mick's been on the show a bunch of times, but in this episode, Eddie talks with him about how he became so risk-minded, and let me tell you, he wasn't born that way. He learned it like most of us do, painfully. But before we start that, I wanted to give you some thoughts on what happened with markets this week. The only problem? I'm on spring break. So, since I wasn't able to watch markets this week, I took a look at my crystal ball, and I'm going to tell you what happened. Markets stayed volatile. Futures markets are moving pretty well right now, spurred along by some important economic events. What about Brexit, the FOMC, economic numbers just coming out every week. The markets take the stairs up and elevators down, and I don't know which way it moved, but I can tell you it got on one of those rides. The opportunities out there are ever-present, and what's that mean? Being able to trade for tomorrow is even more important. And that's your market reaction for the week. So without further ado, I'm going to toss this over to Eddie for his Rewind episode with Top Step Traders Risk Manager, Mick Eronimo. Mick, let me ask you to get this interview started. Let's start way back, 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 back uh, when you started your career. How did you get into trading? What, uh, what was the door that opened that uh, let you in? Sure. Good question. Um, it all goes back to one day I can very vividly remember. Um, so my father was down in the wheat pit at the Board of Trade. He was a broker. He also traded his own account there. And I remember when I was young, I must have been 10 years old or something, he brought me down to the floor. And I remember seeing all these guys in the colorful jackets standing shoulder to shoulder. And I was just standing at the the top step, funny enough, um, top step of the pit on the outside looking down. And um, it was a little before the 930 open. And at that time, markets were open 930 to 115, a nice three hour and 45 minute workday for these guys and girls that were down there. And right before the 930 bell rang, everybody was very quiet and staring up at the uh, the boards on the walls. And I remember that 930 bell ring and I saw all these grown adults erupt, jumping up and down, arms in the air, screaming at each other, um, you know, using obscenities towards each other. And just as a little boy, um, this was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It, it was so wild. It was the most chaotic uh, and I wanted to be a part of it. You know, I, I can relate to that. First time I saw that, it was, you know, I was waiting for somebody to break the fight up, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it kept going. And, and I'm, you know, I was wondering what's going on. Why, why are they, you know, pushing and shoving and screaming and yelling? Is this how it's supposed to go? And, and yes, it, that's exactly how, and, it, how it was supposed to go. And I was worried that there were, you know, going to be fights coming out at, at any minute. And it just, um, after sitting there for a little while, I was like, this is just the way it goes. Uh -huh. So that was the first day I ever had any, um, you know, I was brought into the business. Um, now, let, let me ask you. Now, you were brought into the business that way. What was your first opportunity uh, for the career in trading? 
So I was um, was lucky enough to get the opportunity. Um, my father, who was like I mentioned, a broker down there in the wheat pit, um, he was he had asked me if, if I wanted to help him a little bit. So he knew that I wanted to, you know follow in his footsteps and get into the business. So when I was 15 years old, I started clerking down on the floor um, for my dad. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was a slow start for me. It was a completely new thing to me. I didn't have an idea of what was going on. I just, you know, knew they were buying and selling and screaming and stuff like that. Um, so I, it was a summer job for me. Um, I worked for my dad for, I think summer when I was 15 through 19. So I was down on the floor for four years clerking for him. Um, took me a little while to catch on to what was actually going on. It didn't happen that first summer. Um, maybe I'm a slow learner, but there was just a lot to absorb. Yeah, Mick, let me ask you, were you athletic growing up? Were you very into sports, into being competitive? Very competitive. All right, so you were a perfect candidate for the trading floor. I think so. I think so. It does attract those kind of competitive people. You want to do better than the person next to you, um, kind of eat what you kill. <laughs> well, I, thank goodness there was no killing on the trading floor, but a lot of accounts got killed on the trading floor. Definitely, definitely. A lot of people, you know, did very well for themselves down there. So that was my start to the business. Um, I was fortunate enough to know someone in the business, which definitely helped, you know, get your foot in the door. Not a lot of people had that opportunity. Um, so it was a summer job for me, clerking down on the floor. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. Now, what came about you clerking on the floor? Did they ask you to come back next summer after school? I was asked to come back, um, you know, the following summer. And granted, it was my dad again. So he knew he wanted to help me and um, wanted to, you know, help me pursue my, my interests. Um, so I clerked for him for four years. And then I got a really nice opportunity to work for another local trader. So this was the summer when I was 20 years old, worked for uh, a really large local trader, great guy, um, mainly wheat, but we also did corn too. So now working for him, I got to run from, you know, the wheat pit to the corn pit. And, you know, he was a large trader. So my primary role with him was to keep track of all his positions between the wheat, the corn, the different contract months. Now, let me ask you, keeping uh, his positions in line, what was the process there? I would, you know, he'd card up the trade. I'd go check the trade with the, you know, the person on the other side of it, make sure, you know, we bought and sold the same quantity at the same price in the same month. And then I would, um, you know, I had a piece of cardboard where I would just track, you know, the cumulative position. And it was, uh, it was difficult because um, you're doing this all in a fast paced environment and you need to have the numbers accurate. And, um, you know, g give me an example. Give me an example of how fast paced it was. You know, by the time I had, you know, checked 10 trades and got the countdown for those trades, he had another stack of 20 cards in his pocket that I needed to go through. Um, so a lot of times I was a little behind him, but at least, you know, what we wanted me to do was methodically get the right count. So he always was, luckily for me. Let me ask you, how important was that count? And what are you talking about count? Count what your position is. Are we, you know, are we long or short? <laughs> are we long or short Buy 20 yourselves. or 200? 
Um, so it was really important to get that right. He was luckily for me, he was always very good about, you know, having a great idea where he was in his head. Um, but we weren't just trading June wheat, you know, there's not a June wheat contract. We weren't just trading one contract month of the products we were trading. We had Dece, March, May, July, Sepon. So I was, you know, keeping track of, you know, six contract months on one product. Um, and then we had those spread against potentially six contract months in another product too. So you, so you'd keep his, his count buys and sells, right? Mm -hmm. w were you ever off? Yeah. Oh yeah. What would happen? Um, I would panic, but, uh, fortunately he would just put his hand on my shoulder and say, you know, step outside the pit and get this right. And I would get, you know, go do that until I could double check it and come up with the same number. <laughs> <laughs> and what would he'd be like, wait a minute, something's not adding up here. And that happened too. I'd come and I'd say, you know, this is what we're at. And he goes, no, that's not right. And I would say, yeah, that is right. Um, how, how would you, how would you correct it? Or how would you find a medium uh, for a correction? It would be, you know, you'd have to really just stop what you're doing you, you, and make sure you go through it all again from the very beginning. So at that point, you know, there were times and not just me, but you know, other traders, you'd have to go back, you know, further into the morning and you know start all over again okay we we came in today you know short this much and then we made these trades starting from the 9 30 open until now and you really got to backtrack all the way so there were times i mean you know i'd spend 10 minutes outside of the pit trying to get this done right and just you got to remember uh, for those that are listening as this is going on uh the market it's is moving it's moving and there's no timeout there's no tv timeout uh, there's no hold on a second guys um no everything is moving and uh, that puts even a little bit more pressure uh on you yeah and ju this just so happened to be you know the 2000 the grains in 2007 um you know prices were moving like crazy during that time in the grains there was a big ranges, fast moves, um, so it was scary times, and you know we did have big swings during those those times. Now, is this where you got your opportunity to trade for yourself? Um, no, it's not. Um, I had known that I always wanted to do that, and you know I mentioned earlier I was working three hours and forty five minutes down on the floor. Well, after that job, I'd go to the country club by my house and I'd double bag 18 holes. So, you know, I was picking up cat looper money, as they call it. So <laughs> looper. I was I was pretty good about saving money and it was something I was really passionate about. So I saved up, you know, money to start my own trading account. All right. And it's, so you did it yourself. I know, uh, gosh, I've been, you know, when I was on the floor, it was like, oh, who's that new kid? Oh, that's so-and-so's kid. Uh, he's got a gold badge. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm down today. I just asked dad for some more money. So at, at the time, you know, there were, there are a lot of people that get help from, you know, family, you know, whether it's a, a rich uncle or if your father or mother was in the business, usually it was father. Um, a lot of people got help that way and at the time i would have loved to have had that help sure would the best thing my dad um could have done for me was not give me that help because it was hard-earned money it wasn't a gift that was just given to me and the value of that money that i had to save over the years years and years and years and years um it meant more to me knowing that i had to put in all the hard work to get that 
I treated it better than I would have if I had just gotten, you know, a check written out to me to open up. Oh, a sure, sure. You know, my, my dad was a circus clown and I, you know, he made me pay for my own pies. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> so <laughs> it all worked out. It all worked out. So better. I, and, you know, even look at that example now, I mean, I think it's really important for people to work their way with hard work into this industry. You know, I think getting a handout isn't going to, you're not going to respect the handout as much as you would your own years and hours of, you know, hard work that go into it. Sure. And it, that goes for everything too. I mean, if you've got a lot of something and everything's coming easy, uh, you're, you're really not going to experience the, the, the tough climb uphill that, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of traders, you know, and, and to be honest with you too, uh, Mick, a lot of those traders never got halfway up the hill. They were done. You know, yeah. they, they never got mm -hmm. that far. You know, the, the one thing that probably was the best about, you know, it being my money was I knew if I screwed up and blew up my account, I was going to be dead in the water. You know, someone who, if, you know, if I got a check, you know, cut to me and, you know, there was 10,000 or 20,000, whatever the amount would be, you know, and something bad happened to that. I might think that I've got something else to, you know, fall back on where I could say, hey, you know, it didn't work out. I've got it figured out this time. Could I get another check or something like that? So um, I knew it was do or die. It was like I spent years saving this up. If something bad happens, it's going to be, you know, the end of it for me or it's going to be another X amount of years of saving up. And I didn't want to be in that position ever. No, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Let's move on now. Um, you know, a lot of our audience knows you from your role here at Top Step Trader and how you consistently remind us that the first job of a trader is risk management. Risk management. Risk management. <laughs> risk management. Tell us, what the hell is risk management? Risk management, managing your money. Um, that's what you have to do. That's what all these professional traders do. They manage their money. They make sure that their winning days can make up for, you know, more than a couple losing days. Uh, it's all about your risk reward. You know, you're, um, before you put a trade on, you're assessing, okay, if I want to put the trade on here, this is the good level to put it on. If the market, if I get in here, I think the market can go to point A, which is where I'll be taking it off if I'm, you know, profitable. But at the same time, before you put any trade on, you need to know where you're getting out if you're wrong. You need to do the math on all these things, all these trades prior to. Right. And the thing is, if you're not, if you're not doing that, uh, that's one of the lessons that you're often going to learn, and that's going to be the hard way. And uh, until you can honestly say, you know what, I've got to do my homework. I've got to follow through. Uh, I've got to watch my risk. I've got to watch my numbers. It, it's not a crapshoot. I'm not flipping the coin. I'm not rolling the mm -hmm. dice. It's, it's all planned out. It's all planned out. You're uh, flipping the coin example. Believe it or not, you could flip a coin to buy or sell something. And as long as you manage your money well, you could probably make some money doing that. I know people that have done that. Believe it or not. It's just, <laughs> not believe really? Hey, heads I'm long, tails I'm short. You don't really want right. to do this. I mean, that's not you're not going to make a living out of doing that. Yeah. But you could do it if, you're, if your risk is that disciplined. You know, if I'm going to flip a coin and buy uh, heads I buy, I buy the ones and want to sell twos. And if it looks like the ones are going, you know, I sell the ones and scratch the trade. <laughs> you know, I, I'll agree with you there because I had a customer at uh, Royal Bank of Canada 
every day they would either buy or sell a 10 lot. And that would be the first call I'd get before the morning. And, you know, they'd be like, uh, today sell 10. Okay, I'm selling you 10. Uh, mark it on open, right? Okay. Uh, okay, today I'm, I'm buying 10. Mark it on open. Okay. And then this this went on for a while. I'm like, I, then I asked him, I'm like, you know, what is possessing you to buy or sell? And uh, um, his name was Chris. He goes, oh, flipping a coin. You gotta be kidding me. Flipping a coin, you know what? Flipping a coin. That can be good. And him doing it with a 10 lot. I know a lot of us, you know, younger, newer traders, 10 seems like a lot to maybe some people. That might just be, you know, his 10 lot might be him getting the toe in the water. You might be able to follow the market price action a little bit better with some skin in the game. You know, I know people that have done that. Oh, I'll put one on just so I've got something to manage and I'll be maybe it'll help my focus a little bit as opposed to having no exposure whatsoever and trying to make a determination. Right. Not saying that you try that. I'm just saying it's uh, it's something. Let's, let's put it this way. If you're in the position where you can do that and I'm going to say 99% of people I'll say 95% of people aren't in that position. Yeah, so I, I, keep that in mind. I save your bullets for the good trades. There you go. Let, let me ask you, Mick, you, you got yourself a seat. You got yourself trading, putting some buys on, putting some sells on, keeping the coins in your pocket, right? Sure. <laughs> right? I, I was trying to. It was a tough business, and I didn't, I didn't lease a seat. I didn't want to make that kind of commitment. Um, I would have definitely gotten, you know, favorable rates and stuff like that. But when I first started trading – I wasn't paying non-member fees because I wasn't trading very big. You know, if I was doing a lot of round turns over the course of a month where it made sense, but I took it so seriously. I didn't have tons and tons of cash in the account. And I knew that I could make or lose a thousand dollars a day trading one contract. Um, I never traded that big. Um, Early on, I did do a lot of round turns, and there certainly were months where, you know, leasing a membership would have made sense. Then I kind of, as I got smarter and learned a little bit more about the markets and about myself, I kind of toned all the round turns down. I was less of a scalper and, you know, began to kind of try and catch the trend for the day. All right. Let me ask you, if I could, uh, what was the hardest loss you ever took as a trader? Good question. Um, and I knew this question was coming, folks. Uh, there were a number of hard losses um, in trading. And believe it or not, some of the probably the biggest loss wasn't even the biggest financial loss wasn't even the hardest one. Um, a couple trades pop into mind. I think it was like my third week trading my own account. Um, I was trading corn and you know, at this time, I didn't really have much of a plan. I didn't really have much of a strategy during the day. And I I bought one contract of corn. Market went against me, 10 bucks. It's $500 loser. I put another contract of corn on. So now I'm long two. And the market still continued to go against me. And this was like my, like I said, my third week trading. My first two weeks were profitable. And you know, the market just kept going against me and I, I puked the trade. It was a two lot trade. I lost something like 2200 or $2,500 on the trade. Real quick, when you say puked, did anybody have to clean that up? What What is puked? <laughs> so it's a term on the trading floor. It Explain is, it. It is. Puking the trade is getting out of the trade, blown out of the trade because you can't take the pain and you puke, you know, from the pain. You dump the trade. So 
I covered the trade for a big loss um, to this day in my personal my personal trading account. Granted, we're I know we're talking a little bit about my trading history. I traded for myself for about four or five years, then moved to a prop trading firm. And then um, I was doing uh, execution for Linda, Linda at her Granite Fund. Um, I still trade my own account very rarely um, now, but at that time and during my own trading account, um, you know, $2,200 loss was the third, it happened in the third week of my trading. And um, it was one of, it was the most painful financial losses for me. And it was a stupid loss at that. I should have never watched corn which as we know corn. doesn't move that much oh my god granted at that time though there were the prices were swinging around in the grains but yeah that was a really bad bad trade it wasn't the most painful one for me and i say that because it was a stupid trade i shouldn't have ever done that um one of the most other painful trades i had you guys might laugh it was off a 400 dollar swing um so let, let me let me guess. You were sitting positive. Yeah. End of the day, you ended up negative. It was actually you're right about. It was in the morning though. I was right. um I was trading. Didn't really see much in the markets. I had one good trade in the morning. I was up two hundred bucks. Uh, one of my buddies was coming over to the house, and we were going to go out water skiing. And he comes over. He's like, "Let's go, let's go." And I was up two hundred. Could have walked away. Had a good day. Instead, um, early on, I was trading my P&L, you know, oh, I, I bought and sold in and out of trades, not because of what the market was doing, because of what my P&L was showing me. And I was like, ah, you know, I bet I could make another couple hundred bucks before we, you know, head out on the lake. I turned that $200 winning morning into a $200 losing day. Mm. So I had a $400 swing, $200 loss on the day is nothing trading futures. But to this day, it's probably the most painful trading mornings I've ever had. Small financially, but it was a stupid thing for me to do because I was trying to trade my P&L and just trying to make another 100, make another 200. I didn't see yeah. any good trades. I was just putting stuff on because I could. Right. And, you know, and one of the things, one of the most deadly, deadly sins in trading uh, is greed. And sometimes it sneaks up on us and we don't realize that we're getting greedy and, uh, you know, uh, we've got enough in our pocket, mm -hmm. but we want more and more after that. And give me some more besides that. And uh, I'll take a side of more it, it, and greed will kill you. It will. It will. Um, which leads me to the next big loss. And this wasn't in my own. This was with a proprietary account. Um this was a big financial loss. Um, one morning, uh, this prop firm I was with, we made markets in the grain. So we traded calendar spreads and we did, we tried to make, you know, one or two ticks on a trade or scratch the trade, you know, make a tick, scratch it. You never really want to lose a tick. So we would try and do this, you know, hundreds of times a day, thousands of times a day. And one night I had, uh, as long 300 corn, and one of the calendar spreads and normally we never wanted to have a position on that was more than like we never wanted to work a bid that was more than 10 percent of the actual bid there so if there were 500 on the bid we were okay being 50 of that 500. this one morning i was long about 300 corn 
and there were still 300 corn bid at the price that I was um, long from. So I could have scratched the trade. First of all, had too much on, way too much on. And I let that bid whittle down. So if I'm long from one, I'm long 300 corn from the price of one. And there were still 300 on the bid there, but I didn't scratch the trade. You know, I didn't sell that 300 right into the 300 that were bid there. And then the bid shaved down to 100. So now I've got 300 on. Best case, I could only get out of 100 of it. So I tried to, you know, sell it all right at that price. I maybe got, I got a little bit off. And then they took that price offered. So now I'm flipped. So you're, so the 100 that you could have, that you were sort of leaning on is Gone. gone gone and now it's offered at that price oh goodness. so we called that flip so i'm flipped on right. i'm flipped on 300 corn um and i need to start unwinding out of some of these so i remember i i can't remember what the quantity was i probably tried to sell as much as i possibly could probably all 300 at the next price um or i actually i think i joined the offer that i was flipped at well because i just added so much size to that offer people started trading at the price below and I'm like, oh, God. So I drag my offer down. I try and get some off. Got some off at that price. Now I might have 250 or something like that. And the market just slowly snowballed down like that. I'm pushing it down by showing the size oh, yeah. that I'm working. I'm also pushing it down by trying to hit the bids, you know, just to sell out as much as I can. And I think, I think the price moved, you know, from where I was long, it moved like maybe four, five, six ticks, probably five ticks or something like that. Turned out being a little over a $16,000 losing trade. Ouch. Um, I was trade well above my, you know, means doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, that was stupid. Um, that was well, stupid. We do. I mean, if you're a trader and you're listening, you know, uh, I'm sure that if you just, within a few seconds, you can remember some of the biggest and stupidest moves that you've made. And after you make those, you ask yourself, why, why, why? Well, because more or less maybe that greed factor sneaked in. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe the uh, the gamification greed slipping in. I think I just gave myself an exception on this one trade. I was outside of the what I should have been doing, what I knew I sh how I should be operating, and I just made one exception. And it... You know, it was a huge loss to take that took a lot of time to make back. What led you to get in that situation? Um, like, did you take those 300 all at once or was it just a buildup? It was a buildup. It was a buildup. Something about the price holding there at that level, which, uh -huh. it, which it didn't. And you liked it. <laughs> I like it enough. I like it enough well, 300 times. That's what happens. I was just trading bigger than I should have been and... When you're doing that, you don't have any flexibility, and it caused me to freak out. You know, I was I was sweating bullets watching that computer screen oh, yeah, that morning. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, Mick, I want to make sure that uh, our listeners know that you were very successful in trading. Um, and you, these losses that you're saying, no, well, it wasn't a complete you, loss. You did ask about your question was, what are the hardest yes, losses yes. you've ever taken? Yeah. Now, and every, everybody who's been in the industry for a while is going to have stories like that. Sure. Um, and most people will talk more about their, their bad, the negative stories. Exactly. Times it's... they messed up than bragging about, oh, yeah, you know, I, I made, you know, 25K on that trade, yada, yada, yada. You know, and it's honestly, I'll agree with you 100% there because 
you know, I'm trying to remember on the trading floor and that's, that's all it was. All you ever heard of was conversation of I'm down. I, I made a bad trade. I did this. You never honestly heard traders. Oh, oh wow. I'm, I'm up. You know, if, if anything, you'd only hear it when they would ask their trade checkers, what's my position? Uh, you're up 125 ticks. That's the only mm -hmm. time you would hear that. And you wouldn't hear, uh, you're up $5,000. Right. No, you'd only hear, uh, you're down 27 ticks. Mm -hmm. You're up 52 ticks. Yep. You're down 105 ticks. That's all you would hear. And money would not be even, uh, uh, the equation of money would not be included. It would just be ticks no, up or and down. And that's because it's a byproduct, too. It's a, the money is a byproduct of those ticks and the good trading and stuff. Now, you say good trading. Explain that. Um, what specifically do you mean? The byproduct. Oh, well, you know what? You should be trading to make good trades, managing your money, managing your risk to make good trades with what you see in the market and not basing, like I said, I was trading P&L when I was first starting out. The money, it's a byproduct of making good trades. And if you're trading to make 10 grand a day, you're probably going to lose 10 grand every day. You're trying to make oh, yeah. 10 grand. You try and make good trades during the day, that byproduct, the money, is going to come into your account. All right. Well, you know, I just want to move on. Now, real quick here, Mick, and now I know a, a lot of our traders here and audience knows that uh, um, you work here at Top Step Trader and uh, with your stories of trading on the trading floor. Can you give us a little background on your time with Linda Bradford Rashke? Now, I had the privilege of interviewing her a few times. Very knowledgeable. Um, Extremely. And very well liked. Extremely. Many, many people um, follow her. Extremely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> um, you know, but you had the you had the privilege to work with her. What I mean, were how did you work with her? What was your position? I got I got very lucky to work with Linda. Um, she is a very good friend of mine. She's like family to me now after working with her, and I would hope she'd feel the same way. Um, she is an extremely smart, stand-up, sweet person. Um, I've got nothing but great things to say about her. And working with her was a very, very cool opportunity. Um, at that time, I'd you know been in the industry for a good 10 years, and I learned a lot of new stuff from her. Um, you know, I had... You know, we were managing other people's money. That was my first, um, you know, first time into that area of the industry. So I've been fortunate enough to, you know, work with all kind of market participants, you know, the local traders, the brokers, prop firms, um, you know, now a hedge fund. And, you know, she was just on a whole nother level. She was on a whole nother level. You say a whole nother level. Thought-wise, process-wise, all of the above? All of the above. She took her trading, from what I could see, you know, sitting next to her for the two years I was with her, um, it was everything to her. She took it extremely seriously. Um, she was she was more passionate about what she was doing than most other people I didn't I encountered in the industry. All right. And uh, it sort of played over 
and uh, you absorbed it like a sponge and you brought it to your game. I tried my best. I tried my best. Um, you know, it. I I left the uh, I got the opportunity to work with her um, while I was still at the prop firm. Um, I left the prop firm right away to go to that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, good move. <laughs> good move. You could win. If you could work next to Linda and learn from Linda. Um, God bless you. Uh, you know. Yeah, like I said, I was very fortunate. Uh, very fortunate to do so. I learned a lot from her. She taught me a lot uh, about the money management. You know that that was something that she was very passionate about. You know. All right, I appreciate that. Uh, one last question, Mick. The overall move to electronic trading. Um, now I know we all try to. I guess you can consider us fortune tellers. Okay, each one of us uh, being a fortune teller, hoping that we can predict what's going on. Not to say that you should predict, you should sort of just go with the flow. But um, looking in the future, looking down the road, Mick, what do you what do you see here for uh, for the uh, for trading career for electronic trading? Um, I think that, you know, this is a really tough industry. And this goes back to competitive nature. Um, you know, the people that have that are more passionate about what they do are going to be more successful than those who are not. Because um, you've got a lot of smart competitors out there that all want to take money out of your pockets. They're dedicated. They put in the time and the homework. And if you think that you can come to these markets and just start, you know, swinging trades around without having a real process, a real business plan, and without managing your money, you're going to have a very difficult time doing it. So keep that in mind. There's smart guys on the other sides of these trades you're taking. You know, there's something right there. You just said that. Say that again. There are smart guys and girls and on girls. the other sides of the trades you're you taking. You know what? If you can remember that in every trade you put on, that uh, person on the other side of that trade wants to win mm -hmm. right wants to beat whatever you put on wants to be uh wants to walk out of that day with a ton of money in their pocket you got to remember that because it's not just you against the market it's you against a lot more than just that yeah i mean it, the competitive side of it you know guys want their competitors to be losing money because you know what if their competitors are losing they're probably doing well it's uh right. it's a cutthroat business right. it is once again here, Mick, thank you very much uh, for being with us, and I hope to get you back here again. Yeah, anytime. Thank you so much, Eddie. All right, traders, as always, thanks for spending time with us. We have a ton of great episodes coming up, so uh, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can always give us feedback on any of our interviews at limitup at topsteptrader.com. And if you got some time, please go into iTunes and leave us a rating or review. So thank you so much. See everybody next time. Mick, take care, buddy. Take it easy, Eddie. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Editing and post-production of this episode was done by Dante32.
Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.